option. Submission is our command. We're not told to submit when it feels right. We're told to submit always. Submit to every human authority. Literally, uh, he goes on to talk about governors and emperors, but we're supposed to submit to every human authority. Kids in school, listen to that, right? You submit to your teachers. You submit to your parents. We submit to our bosses. Now, it doesn't mean that we submit to the point of sin. God's word overrides uh, any human authority. But human authority, even the worst human authority on planet Earth, is placed there for one of God's purposes. And what I mean, mean by that is they, it doesn't mean that they're godly people. But you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, it says that Pharaoh was there and God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that the will of God could take place, that his people, Israel, would be, would be rescued uh, from a land of enslavement and, and eventually inherit the promised land. Submission is a command. I love what Wayne Grudem says. He says, the inclusiveness of the word every, talking about submitting to every human authority, makes it appropriate to apply the statement to other legitimate human authorities, parents and children, church leaders and members, authority structures in business, education institutions, voluntary organizations. God has set up such patterns for orderly function of human life because it both pleases and honors him and, and allows us to subject ourselves even to him. Like if there was not structure, there would be anarchy. So even in the even in the worst oppressive communistic governments on planet Earth, God has a purpose. Not saying that God condones the system of government, but God has a purpose. Honoring doesn't mean that you disavow God's truth. Even in, let's say, in China today, we know China is an oppressive government. They oftentimes uh, they they do they do actually say that Christianity can. Can, can gather and worship, but they dictate how they worship. I don't know if you know this, the Chinese Communist Party has their own version of the Bible. I don't know if y'all know that. They've been coming, it's kind of like back in the day when slaves were handed, uh, I forget the name of it, but when they were handed a copy of God's word, all of the, the, book, of, the book of Exodus was cut out of it. Because we didn't, slave owners didn't want slaves learning about liberation. You know, uh, Thomas Jefferson had a Bible and he just cut out the parts that he didn't like. So, but here's the deal, Genesis to Revelation, it's all true. And so even an oppressive government like China that tries to distort God's word, the rulers that are there are, are there for a purpose so that the gospel can spread. And do y'all know that the church in China is outpacing the church in North America. It's growing by leaps and bounds and it's illegal to gather. They literally rip people out of their living rooms. They throw people into prisons. Like uh, y'all know that even the, even the Muslim population in Western China, the Uyghur camps, I don't know if y'all have seen that. They try to, they're trying to basically uh, change their way of thinking. And now we as Christians, we want Muslims to change their way of thinking because it's wrong and it's damnable, but we don't change it by force. We change it by love. And that's what the submission as a command is. We, verse 16, it says, submit as free people as God's slaves. And that's why you see here in this passage, Peter repeatedly references Isaiah chapter 52 
and chapter 53 about the suffering servant. He talks about us, you know, in Isaiah, it talks about this is kind of a precursor, a prophecy about the coming Messiah in Christ. In Isaiah, you see, that's the famous verses you've heard. He was wounded for our transgressions. Yeah, the chastisement that brought us peace was appointed by his wounds. We are healed. In that passage, I highly encourage you to go home and read it. Isaiah 52 and 53, it talks about the one who will be sent by God to suffer and submit. But in that suffering and submission, we would find our salvation. And so what we see is like a lamb led to a slaughter, he didn't even open his mouth. And we know that. What did Jesus do when he appeared before Pilate? Pilate and all the other people tried to get him to say certain things. He shut his mouth. Why? Was he being disobedient? No. It's because he knew the ultimate authority lied with his heavenly father. The one who would overcome through him death, hell, and the grave. He had a purpose. You see, suffering has a purpose. Jesus suffered and shut his mouth even in the midst of oppressive rule because his suffering was necessary so that we might be saved. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that by him we might become the righteousness of God. Like Isaiah wrote, by his wounds we are healed. We're going to talk about slaves here in a moment. You don't think that that didn't resonate with the slaves back then? By his wounds you are healed. That seems like contradictory to the, to the world that wants to preserve life, that wants to save life. And what we see here is this honor and this submission isn't just for the rulers. What does it say in verse 17? It says, honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. All people are deserving of respect because they are created in the image and likeness of God. Why do we honor people that we don't agree with but are in authority structures in our world? Because they are made too in God's image. And like we'll see in a moment with the wife of an unbelieving husband, maybe even through your actions, your actions won't contradict God's word, but your actions would be like Jesus in God's word, and you will suffer to accomplish God's purposes. Everyone is deserving of honor. I love Paul actually writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, to outdo one another in showing honor. But what does it also say at the end of chapter 2? Like it's not, or end of chapter 2, verse 17, it's not just about uh, submitting and honoring everyone. It says, fear God and honor the emperor. Because while there are, there is authority in every segment of life, there's only one whom we fear, and that's God. Fear controls you. It controls you. Think about you that are in horror movies. I don't like horror movies. But it controls you. You fear what's behind the door. You know, y'all remember when you were kids, you fear what was under your bed, right? The boogeyman, right? Boogeyman that was, you know, somehow got in the house, you know, and uh, is under your bed or in your closet. You feared it, right? Fear controls you. We fear God with a reverent fear like we would have for someone in authority, like our father and mother, where we listen and we obey because we know when he speaks, it's for his glory and our good. Like Romans 8, 28 says, God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So first, submission is our command. It's not an option. 
It's a command. We submit even to, so hey, y'all get this, right? Whenever the election rolls around in, in, in November, I can guarantee you our congregation will have people in it who like who's elected and who doesn't like who's elected. There are probably many of us who aren't going to like anybody that's up for election. You know what I mean? Like, but we know that God's in control. God's in control. And we honor and we pray for our leaders. So whether it's Biden, whether it's Trump, whether they find another bush somewhere, I don't know, you know, like we, we pray for and we honor our emperor, our king. And just like 1 Timothy says, we pray and we make petitions before God for those who are in a high authority. Secondly is this, submission is not just our command. Submission is our example. Submission is our example because Jesus Christ is our example and he embodied obedience and submission in his life. And Peter goes and he addresses in verse 18, I don't know what your translation says. I love the way the CSB translates it. Translates it household slaves because that's what the word their orkedos in Greek actually means. Now, I know when we look at, 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 the, at the Bible, we look at the institution of slavery, and we think about American slavery. I want to let you know this. All forms of slavery are wrong and evil. Now, the institution of slavery in the Bible is a little bit different than what we see in modern American slavery. I say modern because it wasn't that long ago, and we are still to this day dealing with the repercussions of, of trying to force submission rather than submitting to our Father in heaven, what we see is, I love what Thomas Schreiner says. He said, um, he said that modern people often question why the New Testament writers didn't criticize, overtly criticize the institution of slavery or advocate for its overthrow. New Testament writers, and this, here's what we need to get. We're in a world and a culture that wants to overthrow things by force. The only way you can overthrow something is by example, is by example. We can't forcefully change culture. Hearts, changed hearts, change culture. I love what Thomas Schreiner says. He said, the New Testament writers, no matter what you read, no matter what you hear, were not social revolutionaries. They did not believe in overhauling the social structures that in, in overhauling social structures would simply transform culture. Their concerns was about individuals and their relationships to God. But history demonstrates that the impact of Christian faith can overthrow social cultures. I know I, I'm an I'm a Anglo person. When I look in the mirror, I see a white guy. I say, y'all see a white guy up here? I see a white guy when I look in the mirror. So I know... Sometimes my view of things is skewed. What if I told you this? What if I told you this, that in America, the church was the primary reason that modern slavery was overthrown? The church was the primary reason that we have uh, brothers and sisters of, of color and, and, and that, that have rights, that don't have to use separate bathrooms anymore. We're still fighting that war. We still have a war against against prejudice. We, we're all born with a lens that we have to overcome by the gospel. But I love what D.A. Carson says. 
the church in Jesus is a band of natural enemies who love one another for Christ's sake. And it was the church, what did we, this past Monday was Martin Luther King Day. That was this past Monday, right? Okay, all right, just making sure. Like, Martin Luther King was a Baptist minister. He helped lead a not, whether you liked him, whether you don't, whether you can pick apart his life. I love these documentaries and things that try to pick apart his life. I would love for somebody to shine a light on my life. You'd find a lot things a lot worse. God uses broken people to bring about his good. Do we not learn anything when we're reading Genesis about Joseph and Jacob and, and how God uses broken people? Well, God used Martin Luther King in the 20th century to bring about change. In fact, think about the two leaders of that time. Who's more hallowed in history? Is it, Mal is it Malcolm X or is it Martin Luther King? It's Martin Luther King. Why? One wanted to bring change by force. The other brought change through humble submission and protest. And that's what God calls us to do. We submit to governing authorities. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with it. But it does mean that even in our protest, we don't sin. It means that Jesus is hallowed above every other institution and everything else. It says in verse 22 that even Jesus did not commit a sin. We think about Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. It says he was assigned a grave with the wicked, yet he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. Even though slavery in this time was not a forced service for the most part, unless you were born into it, a lot of times in this agricultural, agrarian society that they had, slaves chose to go into slavery. And biblical slavery was not typically based on race. Uh, it wasn't based on race. You ever read, watch the movie Gladiator? Anybody ever watch that movie? I'm not saying it's a godly movie, but you ever watch the movie like, there are slaves that are different colors that are, you know, that are part of the, the field and, and, and the competition. And it's because slavery back then was based really, you oftentimes put yourself into it because you had to buy, uh, you know, debt. You, you had to buy yourself out of debt. You had to work. Uh, many of us today, I don't want to de desensitize us to the cruelties of slavery, but many of us today, we live enslaved to many other things. Like we lived enslaved to, to credit cards and credit limits and things like that. Like, and I want to denounce what they were dealing with because even though slavery was most often chosen, slaves could be doctors, slaves could even own under other slaves back then. It doesn't mean that it was good. It was very oppressive. As a master could could literally rape a slave or a child of a slave, and there were no repercussions. But even in that evil institution that they find themselves in, what does God say through Peter? Slaves even submit to your masters. I love what Paul writes. Paul writes later on that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, he says to slaves, he says, don't work only as you're being watched as people pleasers. But as slaves to Christ, doing God's will from your heart, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to man. Even through the actions of those who are being oppressed, maybe 
maybe just maybe we trust in the power of God to even change the heart of the persecutor. God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 4 verse 15 and 16 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet one who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we might receive mercy and find help in our time of need. Verse 21, it says, we were called to this because Christ also suffered leaving you and me an example. The word there for example in the Greek is hippogramos. And what that word means is literally, it's the same word in the Greek for children who would trace letters in the alphabet to learn. Y'all know, y'all remember that, right? In grade school, you trace the letters of the alphabet to learn and then they taught you script and you're like, what in the world am I doing? I know kids today, y'all don't know what that is, but you know, y'all... Y'all who were born at a certain time remember that, right? You know, and so uh, you trace it to learn. That's why obedience and submission is so important. We have an example to trace and to follow. And his name is Jesus. And he suffered without cause. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. He wasn't sinful. But the sinless, spotless lamb took on the sins of the world so that we would no longer be children of wrath, but we would be children of God. Submission is our command. Submission is our example. And lastly, submission is our ministry. Submission is our ministry. It's an example, but it's also the way we reach other people. And this is why Paul talks then Y'all get this, when, when Paul's talking, uh, not Paul, Peter, when he's writing here, he's writing to those in society who are poor and powerless. And what I mean by that is, yes, he'll address husbands here in a moment, but he dedicates the majority of his words to wives. He dedicates the majority, yes, in Scripture through Peter and Paul, we see that masters are supposed to treat their slaves with honor and dignity, but we see the majority of words are addressed to those who have less power. Why is it? Because the way society changes, the way people change is through our living example. Remember chapter one, it talked about that we were called to a living hope, a living hope. We live out this rock on which we stand, this firm foundation. So it says, verse Chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, wives submit to your own husbands as the Lord. And you're like, okay, well, I can submit to my husband if he's godly. Well, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Submit even if they disobey the word. So they will be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. And y'all know Miss Faye was about to jump out of her seat when we talked about outward adornment and things like that. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't look nice. 
The Bible nowhere says that you can't look nice. Read Song of Solomon chapter 1. It talks about they were attracted to each other by their outward adornment. But what it does mean is that what's on the outside doesn't define you. What's on the inside does. Y'all know, I grew up in like traditional Baptist church where everybody tried to like outdo one another. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been to the church? Those headdresses are out of control, right? Y'all ever been there, you know? Outdo one another in showing honor doesn't mean that we try to outdress our neighbor. What it does mean is that we outdo one another by showing brotherly affection, sisterly affection to people, even when they don't deserve it. We, God is not concerned with what's on the outside. He's concerned with on the inside. You see, ladies, here's a power that you have that us guys don't. What you wear can both not just portray power, but it can portray sexuality. So for men, you can help a brother out through your modesty. It doesn't mean that guys, you, you should have an excuse for looking. Shut your eyes, gouge them out, you know? <laughs> but what it does mean is that our adornment is in, 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 internal, not outward. And the Example that we were given is Sarah, and it's, it goes back when Sarah couldn't conceive and her husband was old in years and she was old. She referred to him as Lord, lowercase Lord, not capital L Lord. Uh, lowercase Lord back in that day meant like sir. Uh, it, it, it indicated authority. And she referred to Abram as Lord and not old man who can't get me pregnant. Go back, read the Bible. She's, she's, literally, she's literally being, she's literally in a state of just like laughing at herself because she can't get pregnant. And even in the midst of that sarcasm, she shows respect for her husband. This is why young men should look at and mirror the lives of older men. Not all older men, because there's some of them you don't want to mirror. But in the same way, young women should look to older women. This is why we look to the examples of those who came before us. I'm grateful for all the examples God's placed in my life. And this is why the church is so important. Is because some of y'all have heard the story. My father is in heaven. My father, my, my heavenly father's in heaven, but my earthly father's in heaven too. Um, Paul was his name. And he lived by his name. And what I mean by that is he was ruthless most of his life. My dad was a deacon on Sundays and a demon the rest of the week. Beat my mom. Was someone that you wouldn't want to honor or submit to. But God at a young age impressed on my heart that even though this man who I had very little respect for and I feared not out of reverence, I feared for my safety. That when God says, honor your, mo- your father and mother and your days will be long in the land, honoring him didn't mean that I let him beat me or my mother, but it does mean that I, sh- I willingly suffer for his gain. 
And what that meant is I continued to pursue him as dad. I never let go of what some other people would say is a deadbeat. I prayed for him. Then God changed my dad's life. My parents divorced. My dad, when I first became a pastor, I, I, I wasn't wanting to be a pastor. I went to school, I have, have a degree in accounting and marketing. I can guarantee I'd make more money doing it, you know? I'm blessed. I'm blessed with what we have. But I didn't find my dad after Hurricane Katrina. What was it, about a month and a half? I didn't even know, two months, I didn't even know if he was alive. Y'all know cell service. We had very little of that. I didn't know. He, he found me in, in Hammond, Louisiana. I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And he said he was going to change. I gave him a chance. It doesn't mean that I give him a chance to where he hurts me again and again, but it's long-suffering. Submission and obedience and honoring means that we suffer long with others. Then when I became a pastor, God called us to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, initially back to New Orleans, because uh, I was one of those that grew up in Kennebraw, and I wanted to get out of Kennebraw and never come back to Kennebraw, and um, said I would never live again in Kennebraw, and I live in Kennebraw, I'd never go to a seminary, I went to seminary, never be a pat. don't ever say never, right? God, I'll never live in a really nice climate on the beach, you know, I'll never do it. Um, because God will end up making you do it. Um, I became pastor, uh, replanted a church in, in Metairie that merged with this church and became family church. And my dad at the time had asked me, can I come and serve? And I was kind of scared. I'm like, well, what does that mean? All he wanted to do was come up a couple days a week and clean the church. And he came, he cleaned toilets. He cleaned toilets for the Lord. My son, Colden, in the back has fond memories of going and hanging out with Grandpa and going and cleaning the church three days a week. We had what we called Paul's Closet. There was a, like, it was literally the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the janitor's closet was Paul's Closet. He even put a little desk in there. He made himself feel important. It was awesome. But when he died, I knew where he was, not simply because of his confession, but his life matched his confession. We're not saved by works, but those who are saved work hard for Jesus. So submitting is hard. Obedience is hard. But at the end of the day, it's our ministry. Paul told the, the, the wives, and also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, Submit to one another out of fear for Christ. And then verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Later on, he says in the same way, Husbands, love your wives as your own body. He would, uh, basically, if you treat yourself good, treat others good. And then he says, I'm telling you a mystery. I'm not simply talking about this human institution of marriage. I'm talking about Christ and his love for the church and your submission to one another. Submission, even in your own house, is a, is a ministry to the world around us that doesn't see good godly families. That sees, even if you've had a, a background of, of brokenness and divorce, 
how much more can God live in and through you now to show that even what was broken can be made whole? It means even if that you have an ex-spouse, it means that you honor her. It means that you love and respect even when they don't deserve it because I've seen, trust me, I, I come from a, a twice-divorced home, and I've seen it. I've seen it. Y'all know there are days, This and now I'm speaking to myself, I know y'all look at Laura and think, how could you ever be mad at her? Uh, <laughs> there are days I don't like Laura. But part of my, my loving and honoring my spouse is that I treat her with dignity. That even as a husband, I love my spouse as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washed her through the word. Laura isn't of any less value than me because we play different roles. That's why I want to get clear. Our society is enraptured with roles. We all want the same roles. I hate to break it to you. We can't all play the same role. Or there would be no structure in society. Men and, men and women are both made in the image of God. So Laura is no uh, lesser. When it says weaker vessel or weaker partner, it's not referring to intellect. It's not referring to emotionally. It's not referring to, because she's made in the image and likeness of God. In that society, weaker vessel meant, I could, I could pick more crops than you. I'm stronger than you. Most, I mean, I'm, it's not all the time. I've seen, some, I've, seen, I've seen some women that can beat up their man, right? But for the most part, Men can take advantage of women because we have power. When Laura and I were dating, we'd have had sex before marriage if I'd have wanted it. I'm just telling you, we would have. Because men have a way of cunning emotionally and cunning physically where they can get what they want. That's why God calls men to be leaders. That's why, that's why. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve. God comes, he calls them out. Eve's like, Satan made me do it. The, 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 the serpent made me do it. Everything was a demon. She was charismatic, right? You know, Satan made me do it. Adam said, the woman made me do it, right? right. Who did God come for? He came for Adam. And his first thing when they were hiding in the garden was, Adam, where are you? Because Adam didn't leave. God wants even the oppressed in society to submit so that even their unbelieving husbands might be won over to the Lord. Because how are we going to reach this world? I love what, you know, Fred Luter, uh, I don't know if anybody knows who he is, pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist, New Orleans East, good godly man, really good friends with his son Chip. Um, Fred Luter, when I first became a pastor, we sat down and he said, son, if you want to reach your city, reach the men. He said, that's not chauvinism, that's just Bible. Y'all know how Franklin Avenue got started? I don't know if y'all know this. Franklin Avenue Baptist, which is now, the, they have a big church off the interstate in New Orleans East, not even on Franklin Avenue anymore, right? You know, but like, it started out as a, as a white church that in a community that changed, white flight. Now it's kind of happening backwards where the 
the rich whites are moving back in. That's called gentrification, you know? But like back then it was white flight. And so what happened was there's this white church that died in this African-American community. Well, the Baptists in New Orleans didn't want to give up and they, the church shut down and restarted, but they installed Fred Luter, who's a street preacher. They installed him as the pastor. And y'all know what he did to grow his church? Not a lot of people know this. He hosted fights at his house. They watched fights on like pay-per-view and there were fights. Why? Because the men would come out. I'm not condoning beating the snot out of each other, but what I am saying is that Fred knew you reach the man, you reach the husband, you reach the family. Because when the authority structure is broken, it doesn't mean that you submit to ungodliness. But it, what, what it does mean is that it, it, it's like my mom. My mom wanted to change my dad. It doesn't mean that she needed to have the snot beat out of her for decades and decades and decades but we also don't give up right away on those who are evil. Now, I want to tell you this. If you're in an abusive situation, go to the authorities. Don't just go to me, because if you go to me, I'm going to go to the authorities. I hate to break it to you. All this like stuff you see in movies about pastors having to keep things secret and silent. Well, I have to mandatory. I'm a mandatory reporter. I had a young boy confess about having uh, sexual relations with an underage girl. And he was surprised. His dad cussed me out when I reported him to Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office. Cussed me out. They never came back. They actually went to a church in New Orleans that would protect them. Protect them. Keeping them out of the arms of human authority and structures is of no protection. God has instituted those things for our good. Even when we don't see it, God works in the midst of broken systems. So what do we take from today? We take this that everyone, men, women, child, black, white, old and young, are all made in the image of likeness of God. There, there are different structures and institutions. And even when our world changes, God's word doesn't change. And what it does mean is that even in the midst of our broken institutions, we have an example, Jesus, who though he was entitled to call 10,000s of angels and rescue him, he endured the cross for you and me. Spread out his whole arms saying, world, come here and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Life is worth living because he lives. And we are assured of what lies ahead because even in the midst of suffering, which Peter gets to even more here in the next coming weeks, even in the midst of suffering, we know there's an end to that suffering. And there's one who can get us through that suffering. But the suffering begins with obedience. It begins with submission. Hypotasso is the Greek word. It means that if we can't submit to human institutions, how are we even going to submit to the one who says, drop your nets and come follow me?
If you're here today and you haven't submitted your life to Jesus, I encourage you, don't let today pass before you submit your life to him. He's the one that's worth submitting to. He will never let you down. And he will get you through it. You may not look the same on the other side, but you will be with the one who never changes. Let's follow him today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that we have an assurance that you're not just a good father, you're a good master, you're a good, you're all these things in our society that are broken institutions and even in marriage and in our world and oppression and all these things, God, we know, we know that there's hope, Lord. We know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you're Lord and those who have followed you and have endured will be inherit eternal life and those who did our own, in our own way, Lord, will be cast into utter, utter darkness. So God, I pray that we would follow you here today. And even when it's hard, God, even when we stumble and we fall, we would get back up and we would run into the arms of a loving father. We look at you and we say, anything but Lord, Savior, come rescue me. God, help us to do that today. Help us to submit to your loving affection. And help our the way we the way we submit and work in our broken society. May that bring pleasure to you and goodness to those who are around us. God, I pray that unbelieving husbands would be won by the example of their believing wives. God, I pray that oppressive rulers and oppressive leaders and oppressive uh, bosses would be won by the hard work of your people. God, in a world where evil and darkness reign, I pray that little light of mine, God, that I would let it shine. God, because we know that darkness can't stand light. So God, help us as a shining city on a hill to shine our light before others so that they see it and they glorify our Father who's in heaven. God, I know submission is possible because of you. God, help me to be submissive. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.